Let me share just a brief testimony, and in some ways I'm speaking on behalf of the elders just to share some thoughts about Jared and Lori and, and uh, to praise the Lord and thank the Lord for what it was like to, to, to work with them and uh, to get to work with them. And um, I'm thinking of three words, uh, wise, patient, and long-suffering. There are other words or other virtues we could, we could uh, uh, use to describe the Garcias, but I'm going to use wise, patient, and, and long-suffering. So what I want to do is just thank the Lord that, that we were able to, to work with Jared and Lori and that they were able to work with us and be here for as long as they were. We're about to sing a hymn of joy in a moment. So this should be a joyful time where we can rejoice, right, that the Lord uh, used them so well at EBC's life. So let me just share a, a few things. Uh, number one, wisdom. They, Jared and Lori both have wisdom. They've been wise in how they have planned their lives, how they've planned to use their gifts, and they haven't uh, waited for mystical tea leaves to assemble and tell them what to do. I don't think they have. I think they have. I think they've wisely planned and, and said, "What you know? What are the gifts we have? What are the desires we have?" And they've they've used them well. And, and further, I'll say, Jared is just a, a wise elder. He's a wise pastor. Jared knows a lot of Bible knowledge, and you know he has a PhD. But you know, not all PhDs are equal. And so, but Jared has a real PhD. By that I mean he really did tons of study. He really did, you know. He didn't phone it in. Um, I, I happen to know uh, that uh, in one of his internships, the pastor said, guys, you know, you should check with Jared if you need help writing your papers because his are spot on. So, I mean, that's independent, objective um, um, review. And he he really has a great depth of Bible knowledge. But, on, you know, I didn't say knowledge. I said wisdom because Jared is able to apply the Bible knowledge he has. He loves the Bible deeply. I know they both do. And he's able to apply it so well. And I saw that as a member of the elder team, and he is, he he just was so helpful in bringing up just the right passage at the right time. He would he would pause for a moment. If you know Jared, you know that pause. It's kind of a hmm, hmm. there's a little pause, there's a little you know Filipino sound, and then <laughs> and then he just would come out with um, you know for it was a split second. I wasn't sure what he was going to say. You know like. And he just said something that was so helpful, uh, and time after time. So Jared is wise. Uh, Jared and Lori have, have wisely planned their lives, and we're thankful for that. So patient. Uh, as I worked with Jared uh, throughout uh, elder meetings or discussions on situations or budget or questions or decisions, uh, Jared was always very patient. And I, I could say calm. I was, I'm looking for a biblical word, patient, because he wasn't, he wasn't um, shoot from the hip. He wasn't uh, reactive. He didn't. He didn't blow up. He didn't get. He didn't overreact. Jared was is was patient, and he wisely, calmly, you know, helped us weigh through situations. Even when there was a difficult situation, uh, perhaps a, something like a season of confrontation or something like that, or a, a difficulty in the church, he was calm through that. He wasn't uh, uh, filled with hyperactive emotion. He wasn't overreacting. And that was very helpful. It also allowed us to just simply have good conflict. You've heard of healthy conflict, you know, where you on a team you have to sometimes disagree and you have to be honest about that. And Jared was so good with that because he was just patient and he wasn't rushing and he wasn't overreacting. And so it allowed us to be able to discuss things and sometimes disagree. And we're all disagreed in order to find what's the what's the truth and what's the wise biblical way forward. And so Jared was so so uh, helpful with that. And I wish. That's the part I wish everyone could experience. You know, it's 
it's uh, we, we, it's a small elder team. I wish everyone could have that experience to, to know what it was like to work with Jared, but you'll have to take my word for it. Uh, and and J- uh, uh, Lori is very, very patient as well, because often after elders' meetings, we would drive home. Sometimes he'd drive me home. Sometimes I'd drive him home. And we would often keep the discussion going from the meeting, and, and you know, we would be sitting in the driveway uh, the car would be running, and, and we'd be talking, and it would be it would be quite a while sometimes. And and Lori was probably waiting inside for Jerry to come in and help out or whatever. But uh, she was she she never stormed out of the house. She didn't she didn't she was just pleasant, and she always was patient. So thank you, thank you, Lori and Carson for all that. So um, they both uh, exhibit patience. And lastly, just long suffering. And this is something I I don't know. I only know a small fraction of this, but. Uh, it takes a lot of effort and work and pain to be able to uproot, sell, move across the the county, let, a, let alone across the country. The Doug did this and moved across the whole country, and it's a, it's a long ways out there to the West Coast. And then Jared and Lori are going a little bit farther. <laughs> um, 33 hours, I think, is what I've heard the, the, the travel time is from here to, to the Philippines. And then there's another... Uh, six-hour drive, seven-hour drive, roughly. You know, give or take a few, an hour or two. What's you know after, after forty hours, who's counting? So, um, and that's one tiny slice. But just even uh, thinking about their lives, they have they've not had a home for years because they sold their home to live with others so that they could save money so that they could go. And if you you know, we all love going to our own space, our own car, our own house, our own room. And think about not having your own anything really for, I mean, they have a place to live, but, you know, it's a small place or it's, they've been out west here for the internship and it's a little bit a little room or a little tiny apartment. Um, so uh, I'm going to make it sound really bad. There were, there were cockroaches and snakes and, no, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Um, maybe. Yeah. Uh, that's, yeah, that's coming. That's what's coming. Um, my point is they have suffered long and endured long, endured many hardships in order to simply share the gospel, to go overseas and revitalize churches, to plant churches. And there are many other things I don't know about. There's other things I'm not sharing that just I'm telling you they've suffered long. It is really difficult to do what they're doing, to cross cultures, to go overseas. And um, just even I'm just picking up on the logistics, but there are many other things. So I'm just uh, commending them to you as the, as, you know, Three John says we ought to support people like these. You know, we ought to support people like Jared and Lori and Baby Carson. And so uh, I just appreciate them. I don't want them to go. I don't want you to leave selfishly. But I'm thankful that you're going and answering the call to share the gospel. So we're grateful for you. One of the major themes of this last book of the Christian scripture is worship. The pressures in the first century then and in our day now to worship something other than God, or at least to worship something along with God, are immense. In the Roman Empire, the cult of the emperor demanded worship. The cult of the self in our day is what demands worship. The Westminster Confession from the 1600s offered a motto for life, that the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. But our modern motto for life is just the opposite. And this opposite motto even sneaks in subtle ways 
into some approaches of Christian thinking, into some forms of Christian therapy. Our modern motto is no longer the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But instead, our culture says the chief end of man is to glorify self and enjoy me forever. Well, in Revelation, that battle between true worship and false worship flashes before us with epic, cosmic, apocalyptic images. And none of us is exempt from that war of worship. Whether you are in an elementary school or you're in high school, whether you're here this morning and you still work or you're retired, each of us in here, whether we're an agnostic or whether we're a Christian, each of us in here worships something. And whatever it is you worship controls your life. Beneath all of our problems in our society, beneath all of your problems in marriage, beneath all of the conflicts within a church, those problems all come down to the issue of worship. We've exchanged the glory of God for created things, and that leads to all kinds of disorder, Romans chapter 1. So, friends, if you want to change your course of life or you want to work on your marriage, you want to work on your business or so on, then change what you worship. Change who you worship. Because we do what we do, we are who we are because we worship what we worship. Because we worship who we worship. The scene in Revelation 5 we read together shows us that we're all made for something and we're all made for worship, whomever we are. But it also shows us that there's coming a day when there'll be a vast and diverse group who will worship the Lord together from every tribe and language and people and nation. And that multi-ethnic, omni-geographic worship that we see in Revelation 5 actually serves as a motivation and sustainer for missions. Missionaries go out and churches like ours send them out because of a scene like Revelation 5. How is that so? Because if Christians before us have said, reading Revelation 5, we go because the Lamb must have the reward for which He suffered. He was slain, and by His blood, He ransomed people for God. So the site of worship in Revelation 5 provides a motivation for mission that the Lamb must have the reward for His suffering. And this motivation goes all the way back to Jesus' birth. We've just come out of Christmas time. At his birth, an angel of the Lord announced a mission in Jesus' name. An angel of the Lord tells us there's a design in this baby's death. And what was that mission in his name? You will call his name Jesus. And he might save his people from their sin. No, no, no. He will save his people from their sins. Matthew one twenty one, And as the hymn writers put it, no church arise. They celebrate Christ will have the prize for which he died and inheritance of nation. The design of the atonement provides the power and the fuel for missions. And Jesus' own promises about the design of his death and his life in John 10 have mobilized and sustained many missionaries. What exactly is it that Jesus said about his death in John 10 that has sent and sustained so many missionaries? Here's Jesus' promise. John chapter 10. I am the good shepherd. We know that part. We like that part. We should like that part. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And I have other sheep who are not of this fold. 
here in front of me and I must bring them also and they will hear my voice. John 10, 11 and 16. And when you get to Revelation 5, you know what you see? Those other sheep are now made up from every tribe and language and people and nation. This truth in John 10, one author writes, this truth, other sheep will come filled men like William Carey and David Livingston and Alexander Duff and John Patton and Adoniram Judson. This text, this promise filled them with massive confidence so that they would go to Burma or India or Africa with hordes of unbelieving people and centuries who are in bondage to the powerful devil and go with John 10 and they say, they will believe when I speak the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. Because he's going to gather a people from every tribe and language and tongue and nation. And Jesus is saying in John 10, I will build my church, but I won't build it without you. So church family, we send out missionaries because of the worship of Revelation 5 and the promises of Christ in John 10. And Jared and Lori, you go sustained by these promises, by this scene in Revelation 5, that the Lamb will have the reward for His suffering. The mission revealed in His name will come to pass. Now from Revelation 5, I want you to turn your attention to Acts 13. Would you turn to Acts 13? My task now is to exhort and encourage us as a church on a momentous day like this, a day when we get the privilege of sharing in the Holy Spirit's work of sending workers into the fields of harvest. And here's what we're going to see. God brings about the worship of Revelation 5 through local churches. God uses local churches like ours to bring about the Lamb's reward in Revelation 5. That's what we're going to see in part from Acts 13. God's designed the local church to be a focal point in this life and the next. So Acts 13 Luke ends his gospel, they're connected, Luke, Luke and Acts are connected, and he ends with a, with a, a commission that you're going to be my witnesses and I'm going to empower you, and now we arrive at that moment, a part of that call in Acts 13. We're about to read a first, there are actually two firsts in the history of the world, we come to Acts 13. I'll tell you one and you listen for the other. One first in Acts 13 as Luke shows us for the first time in the history of the world, a church is going to send out missionaries. First time it ever happened. Let's read how it happened. Acts 13, 1 to 5. This is what God's word says. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them, which we will do at the end of our service, and sent them off. And so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived to Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John to assist them. This is God's word. Three questions. 
the first two receiving the most attention. What's happening? How's it happening? And who's going? What's happening? How's it happening? And who's going? What's happening in Acts 13? You know what's happening in Acts 13? What Jesus promised at the end of Luke 24 is happening. He promised the Holy Spirit would come upon His people. They would be witnesses to the ends of the earth, Luke 24 and Acts 1. And when you come to Acts 13, the Holy Spirit is beginning to mobilize His people now for that final section of that mission to go to the uttermost parts of the earth. Think about it. Acts 1.8, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit would empower believers to move out from Jerusalem, then to Samaria and head north, and then go to the utter parts of the earth. So from the perspective of Jerusalem, when you hear what's going on in Acts 13, they see a local church catapulting Spirit-empowered believers to the uttermost parts of the earth. What's happening? Jesus' promise of the Gospel's advance to the ends of the earth are now coming to pass. That local church in view is in a city named Antioch. Antioch lies on a, along a river in the corner of the Mediterranean Sea. It's about 300 miles due north of Jerusalem. Now, even today, 300 miles sounds like a lot. It's about a half a day's of driving, depending on who's driving, but it's still driving. That's roughly from here to, to Richmond, Virginia. But in the first century, traveling from Jerusalem to Antioch would take about 15 days. It's in modern-day Turkey. It's another country away from them. It's here, according to Acts 11.26, in this city that people were first called Christians. That's the other first in the history of the world. It's a milestone of mercy in the history of redemption that in this city of Antioch, a half a month's journey north of Jerusalem for the first time in world history, people are first called Christians, followers of Christ. And from this church, another first in world history takes place because from this church in Antioch, gospel workers are launched out to go into the ends of the earth. The congregation sends out Paul and Barnabas to take the gospel to the Gentiles. First, they're going to go to Cyprus. That's Barnabas's hometown. Then they sail north to Pamphylia. They continue their journey to another city named Antioch of Pisidia. From there, they, they head up north. They head north. They head westward to three more cities, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe, before they return home again and give an update at the end of Acts 14. Everywhere they went, they did three things. You can summarize the work of New Testament missionaries with three E's. They evangelized, they established churches, and they equipped the believers. That's what Paul and Barnabas did. And if missionaries go out today and they don't do at least two of those three things, what three things? Evangelizing, establishing, and equipping, then they're not doing New Testament missions. That's what Paul and Barnabas did wherever they went. Luke also records in Acts 13 that the good news now is advancing in particular to people who are not Jews. Now we yawn at that. Doesn't sound like a big deal that people called Gentiles are embracing the gospel. But that was so earth shattering, so crazy and upsetting and promise fulfilling that they have to call a church wide council in Acts 15 to deal with the fallout of now Jews and Gentiles Worshiping together. That's how earth-shattering and profound this moment was when the church sends them out. But it's not the end of the story. Because from Antioch, countless, nameless other churches like our own were planted and then sent out other people to proclaim the gospel. You know what that means for us today? 
Emmanuel Bible Church exists today because Antioch took the good news to the ends of the earth. You realize that? We are the ends of the earth from Jerusalem. The gospel has reached us. The Philippines are the ends of the earth from Jerusalem. The gospel has reached there and we must continue to evangelize and establish and equip. EBC, Emmanuel Bible Church and Pine City Baptist Church in Baguio exist. Why? Because Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would come upon his people and those people would go to the uttermost parts of the earth. And our church is a sign that Jesus has kept that promise. That the church of Antioch obeyed and we exist humanly, sovereignly, because that church obeyed our great captain, our magnificent Lord Jesus Christ. And we've heard the gospel because this church was faithful to believe the Spirit would come and send them out. Jesus does not keep his promises. We'll lead in a moment to the second point. He doesn't keep his promises apart from a church, but through them. And today it's happening again. What's happening again? Jesus is still keeping his promise to advance the gospel through local churches. Acts 13 is the way it happens, and it's happening at this moment. Don't don't miss what's happening Today is not about Jared and Lori fulfilling some childhood dream that they work really hard to bring about. It's not a couple with a love for other cultures moving to start a nonprofit and dig wells and open a business. What you are seeing is the risen and reigning Christ doing what he said he would do. Send workers to the ends of the earth in the power of the spirit. And today we have a part. That's what's happening. We have a part in sending a multi-ethnic couple brought together, not simply by their love for one another, but brought together by their deeper love than Christ that's made them one. And now they go to call the nations to be one in Christ. That's what's happening. Jesus is keeping his promises. But now I've tipped my hand. How is it happening? You want to know how it's happening? How is the Spirit gathering a crowd of worshipers in Revelation 5? Here it is. The Holy Spirit uses local churches to send out people and gather worshipers. Look at verse 4. You're in Acts 13? Look in verse 4. How are Paul and Barnabas set out? So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went. So the Holy Spirit sends out Paul and Barnabas. That's true. Later in Acts 20, Paul uses the same language about the Holy Spirit involved in church work. Paul tells the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Blessed Trinity, sends out elders like Jared, sends out a couple like Jared and Lori. Open your eyes, church family. We are witnessing the work of the Holy Spirit in our church family. Later, we're going to sing this line. Does the Spirit, does the Spirit move among us? He does. How do we know? Being sent out by the Holy Spirit, the Garcias, Go to the Philippines. Jared and Lori, don't forget that today you are sent out by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit. And when we lay hands on you, that's a visible sign and an and outward reality and reminder of the Spirit on your life and the church sending you out. And what I want to know, this is happening today. Antioch is happening again. Pentecost hasn't been rescinded. The Spirit's still working. What I want to know today Who will be next in our flock to be sent by the Spirit? Oh, 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 blessed and sovereign Holy Spirit, 
send out more people from our church. But how does the Holy Spirit work to send missionaries like Paul and Barnabas and Jared? Don't miss this. How does he do this supernatural work? We want the Lord to speak to us in a dream. That would be cool. To give us thoughts while we're writing a journal. That would be deeply personal. To have a like coach guide us in a group meeting. To have a burning desire. Even for Jesus' face to show up in a cup of coffee or in a piece of burnt toast. Then I would know. Those are the ways we expect the Lord to do something like this. But this passage shows us something much more ordinary and common. That if you blink, you miss it. And if you miss church, you miss it. How does he do it? The Holy Spirit uses local churches to send out people and gather worshipers. You looked at verse 4, but where are we? Look at, look at the first line of verse 1. Where are we? Now there were in the church at Antioch. And what happened in that church in Antioch? While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So it is true, the Holy Spirit calls gospel workers, but the Holy Spirit uses the local church to confirm the call of gospel workers. Churches help gospel workers discern the Holy Spirit's call. The most common, the most ordinary, the most powerful way the Holy Spirit sends people out is in the context of relationships in a local congregation just like ours. The Spirit used a congregation of Antioch and the course of regular gatherings for worship, prayer, to begin a missions movement. Now, what does that mean? It means that churches plant churches and churches send out missionaries. Listen, there are lots of wonderful things, lots of wonderful things. Parachurch mission agencies can play an important role. Supporters are needed. Seminaries are needed. Lots of things are needed. Financial supporters are needed. Shepherding groups are needed. Sunday school classes. But none of those things send missionaries. Acts 13 reveals that individuals and financial supporters and shepherding groups and Sunday school classes and seminaries don't send missionaries. Local churches do that. The Apostle Paul was not sent out by a missions organization. A Sunday school class did not take up a collection and say, you're our missionary and we're sending you out. A seminary didn't say, you're ours, we send you out. In Acts 13, even the great Apostle Paul was sent out by the Spirit through a local church. And we have that privilege today. It also means this. Do you see this? you see how simple this is? Do you see what opportunity we have, church family, to keep doing this? The church needed Paul, but don't miss this. Paul needed the church. That's how it works. So, if you intend to go into missions, don't work independently of a church, but work in conjunction with a local church. Why? Because the Holy Spirit sends out people through the church. The church confirms the call. That's what happens here. That's what's happened with Jared and Lori. You heard Pastor Dave say they've lived their lives first as faithful members of this church. They both came as those who are single and lived faithfully in our body. Then a married couple. They've always expressed a desire for missions. Lori, early on, took her own short-term missions trip to China. Always disinterested for the nations. We as a flock have prayed for them. They've submitted that desire over the course of their being here. Is this what we should do? Where should we go? Should we go back here? We, they've been in several different shepherding groups asking for prayer. And Jared has found, I wish everybody could be in lots of different shepherding groups and get this kind of benefit that we have. The flock has been involved in their lives. They were in our group for a time. And the Garcias came out. I remember 
several occasions, nights after small group, talking with Jared and Lori about the nature of missions and what it is. They might not remember this. We even left one night, late night, walked on the front porch, seal of mine. There's like this fluorescent frog on the front. And Lori and I, do you remember that? Stop and talk about the frog. She may not remember it. See, I don't know. That's in my mind. What does that frog have to do with missions? Nothing. Nothing at all. But I, it was a late night. We go outside. There's this frog. I rem- These are the conversations we've all had with them. Long talks. Even gone to several missions conferences together to talk and discuss. The last one, John and Margaret Bastoni came and were a part of that. In time, all of you affirmed Jared as an elder of this flock. You recognized the Spirit's work in his life based on the qualifications of 1 Timothy. And you heard him serve Dave as an exemplary. What's happening? The same thing that happened to Paul and Barnabas, Antioch played a part in Paul's life. They confirmed his call. They helped equip an apostle and get him ready. And they sent him. And today, the Lord of the harvest, the Holy Spirit, is doing it all over again. Don't miss it. Don't miss that's what's happening. And another sense, don't miss this either. We're not sending out Jared alone. Here's what was lovely for me to think about. We're sending Jared back to the church that sent him over here. We're gospel partners with the brothers and sisters of Pine City Baptist Church in Baguio. And in a part, we're gospel partners with the branch in Corvallis, Oregon, who've asked their pastor to come back and help with this service. We're all gospel partners. Send them out worthy of the name, John says, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. That's what's happening. Revelation 5 is becoming a reality. How? Because the Holy Spirit used the church of Antioch to launch missionaries to the uttermost parts of the earth And now we're doing the same thing. Finally, it won't take long. Who are we sending? Look at the front of your order of worship. Listen to how James Boyce puts it, a former pastor of Tim Prez in Philadelphia. Here's how he puts it commenting on Acts 13. You want to know who we're sending out? If a seminary graduate is of average gifts, we think he should be a pastor of a church. If he has above average gifts, we think he should pastor a large church. But if he has exceptional gifts, we think he should teach in a seminary. I say in schools of theology, that's not the way it should be. In my view, the worst should teach, the more gifted should pastor churches, and the very best should be missionaries. Paul and Barnabas were the best Antioch had, and they were missionaries. And today, church family, we are sending out our best. A bitter, sweet blessing all to the praise of our great Savior. Saving, helping, keeping, loving, our great Savior is with us to the end. Amen. That's a, a great and precious promise, especially to preachers, that just the preaching of God's Word will bring life to us and not the preacher. So we're very thankful thankful to be here um, I bring you greetings from the saints at the Branch Church in Corvallis, Oregon, and especially from Bridget and Orion, who wish they could be here. Uh, they bring you, they send you greetings, and I bring them from from them to you. It's a real joy to be back with the brothers and sisters here at Emmanuel Bible Church in in Malden. Uh, every time I come and think about you all, I think of the serious joy that I experience when I worship together with you, not just in the singing, but in the reading and the praying centered on God's word. Uh, Thankful 
to be a part of, of this sending, dear brother and sister. And, and uh, brothers and sisters, thanks for bringing, bringing me out here. So um, we're also really excited to partner with you all to send, in a very small way, to send Jared and Lori back to the Philippines. Jared and Lori on their travels came out to raise funds and they came to the branch church and Jared serves our church so well, teaching us more about reaching and teaching, but also the ministry that he's going to be going to and supporting Jared and Lori was a very easy decision. Uh, and not just because I've known Jared since he's 14, which I have <laughs> very long time and not just because of our connection to Emmanuel, but it's because uh, it was an easy decision to support the gospel work that Jared and Lori want to do uh, because we have a conviction that though we are a small church, have very limited resources, we, we believe that we want to support the gospel work in other places because of the things that Brad said from Revelation. Uh, it's a joy to know that the, the the small amount of money that we give and the, the small prayers that we pray for Jared and Lori are, are, are going to produce gospel fruit across the ocean. Praise God for that. I mean, only our our God can do something like that. But it was, it was the shared vision. Uh, maybe you've heard it before. God displays his glory most visibly through healthy churches. Have you heard that before at all? It's an easy vision to get behind because... Uh, it is the truth of which Scripture bears witness. The, the church is a glorious display of God's glorious wisdom. That's what you all are, and that's what churches are everywhere that gather to preach God, the truth of God's words, and administer the ordinance under the gospel. And Paul tells the Ephesian church that the redemption God has worked for you, for humanity, has brought together Disparate groups like Jews and Gentiles. Now, that might not, that might just sound cliche, but it would be something like God bringing together Russians and Ukrainians in the same church worshiping together while a war is going on. And that binding together of Jew and Gentile is a display not only of God's glorious power, but it's just a display of the beautiful wisdom of God. People like us in this room would gather together. We have, most of us have nothing else in common except Jesus. This is a multifaceted display of God's wisdom and glory right here in this room here in Malden. And it's easy to see then why God loves his church and is keen to protect and provide for the church is flourishing. Did you know that God is keen on protecting and providing for your flourishing here in Malden, South Carolina? And one of the ways God provides and protects his church for its flourishing is through pastors and missionaries. Those who preach the word and pray for the, pray for the flock. Those who are gatekeepers and night watchmen, the ones who light the way with the gospel, the ones who carry the fire leading people back to God. That's one of the ways he provides and protects his church. And so it's no surprise then that Paul, at the end of his life, writing from prison or house arrest, as a pastor writes to a pastor, 
as a missionary, writes to a pastor encouraging him. Paul writing to Timothy is encouraging him, exhorting him to do the one thing that will make God's church flourish, to provide and perfect, to protect his church. The one thing that will provide and protect God, Christ's bride, the church, guard the good deposit of the gospel. Keep it. Watch it. Protect it. Now, Brad spoke from Acts, which was the beginning of Paul's missionary career. And we're going to be in 2 Timothy 1, which is the end of Paul's life. He's converted. His missionary career has begun. It's now over. And he's rotting in prison, if you will. And the only thing he can think about is guarding the good deposit of the gospel so that Christ's church might flourish. So 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. This is God's word. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, in which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. This is God's word. Jared and Lori, many nice things have been said about you, and they're they're all true. Um, and part of your wisdom and long suffering and patience is has developed in you by being at this church. So this is all true of you too, Emmanuel Bible Church. And yet you've been exhorted uh, to one thing in the Scriptures, and that is 
The task that you have been called to, to guard, is the good deposit of the gospel. Keep it. Watch it. Protect it at all costs. Through shame and suffering and hard times and good times, dear congregation, but our dear missionaries, guard the gospel. And you will be pleasing in his sight. But friends, with all the exhortations we can give them and the duties we can heap upon them, which may bring guilt on them, with all the duties they are called to in giving up your life and not being ashamed and, not, and suffering for the gospel as a good soldier for Jesus Christ, you will not be able to do this by mustering up the courage or pulling up yourself by your bootstraps or implementing the latest church growth strategy. Your brother's... Brother and sister, the only way you will be successful at the task of guarding the gospel is remembering and meditating on the fact that it is the gospel that has guarded you first. More precisely, it is the God of the gospel who has guarded you, is guarding you, and will guard you until that day. Jared and Lori, never forget how the gospel has guarded you in your past Remember how God, out of the riches of his mercy, rescued your grandmother and your dad out of the miry pit of works righteousness and placed them on the solid ground of justification by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone. You, you see it in, in verse 5 of chapter 1 where Paul talks about this for Timothy. Timothy also had a grandmother and mother who was displaying the same faith as Timothy. And, and he, he tells Timothy, Paul tells him to stir up this gift that is in him, to fan it into flame. In order to do that, remember, I am reminded of your sincere faith, and I want you to remember this as well, that that faith dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Dear brother, I... I think I knew you after you became a Christian, but I am sure of this. The faith that I see in you is the, is the faith that I see in the scriptures. Praise God for that. Brother, think of the kindness of God to you in having Christian parents and grandparents. And you too, Lori. Much like Timothy, this, this heritage of faith was given to you so you would remind yourself and be stirred up. And Paul did not have that heritage of faith as far as I can tell, but he realized what a, what a tremendous kindness this was from God. And it was a point of fact meant to strengthen Timothy's faith, so let it strengthen yours. If you're going to guard the good deposit of the gospel, remember the gospel guarded you even before you were born. Let this strengthen your faith. Timothy's grandmother and his mother both had the faith that Timothy is now demonstrating Jared, I don't know the full story of Mama and Papa Garcia's conversion. But just think of how God used their conversion to guard you and direct your steps even to this very moment. So in times of discouragement or when you're tempted to be ashamed or when you have been betrayed by someone you poured your life into, you can remember, you must remember and call to mind that the gospel has been guarding you from even before you were born. The gospel has been setting a hedge of protection around you like a garrison, protecting your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. 
protecting you for the love of God and through the love of God. God has shown you that in time through the guarding of your parents. Think also, dear brother and sister, not only of your parents, but also of the pastors that God has used to guard you. Jared and I share two influential pastors through whose ministries we were propelled into a love for expositional preaching and a love for the church. Dr. Art Sinsky and Dr. Brad Baum. I'm sure he loved that I called him that. (laughs) We spent four years in the pews of Galilee Baptist Church in Kent, Washington on Sunday nights, listening to the good doctor, Dr. Sinsky, exposit the book of Romans and its central theme of justification. And that preaching event became the highlight of my week, and I think probably Jared's as well. I'd never heard anything like this before. And I think it was under that ministry, as the word was exposed to us, and justification was explained to us in such a way that I remember saying, I think I've heard Jarrett say before, I remember saying, I want to do, whatever that guy is doing is what I want to do. I think we experienced a call under that ministry. Thank God for the pastors he's used to guard us and guard you. Then in a few years' time, in, in God's providence, we both came to Emmanuel Bible Church and, and sat under Brad's preaching and personal mentoring. We grew through the love and care of Brad, but also you, dear church family. And what grew in us was a love for the church and for seeing how the Bible preached could be preached as one story with the gospel at the center of it all. Thank you, dear brother Brad, for your your investment into my life and into Jared's life. It has, it has been a means of God guarding the gospel and guarding us. Now, I will take credit for Jared coming to EBC. I did invite him to Emmanuel Bible Church, but he didn't stay because of me. He stayed because of Lori. But but also because of the preaching and, and because of the community here. We're thankful for that. Gospel has been guarding you in all of these ways and through all of these people. How can you not be encouraged to see what God has done? He has guarded you in the past. But you can go even further back than just your parents and just your pastors and just your immediate past. God has been guarding you, dear brother, with the gospel and has been guarding you, dear church, with the gospel before you were born. Even before time was born. Did you pick up on that in verse 9? Dear brothers and sisters and saints of EBC, did you see that in verse 9? The gospel has been guarding Jared and Lori and you since before the ages began. Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Friends, this is really good news. The God who transcends time and space thought of you before time began. And not because of anything you did, no works of your own, nothing you have accomplished, but because of his own purpose and grace. That is meant to settle your heart. Oh, you dear struggling Christian, do you think you have to earn God's love and favor? You do not. 
He has thought of you before the ages. His purpose of grace was for you before the ages began. So meditating on this truth, meditating on this truth will help you not to be ashamed of the gospel. And it will help you to follow the pattern of sound words. Our good and kind God has been guarding our brother Jared and you if you trust in him since before time began. And if you have not yet trusted in him, dear brother, dear friend, I I encourage you to talk to somebody here, talk to me afterwards. I think God is coming after you even in this moment, showing you his purposes of grace. Church family, look around and see the present evidence that God is guarding his gospel and his gospel workers. You may have not even remembered that it was Jared and Lori's send-off today. Maybe you just made the ordinary decision to come to church. That is, That actually is more of a testimony that God is at work through ordinary means, by guarding his message, his minister, and his missionaries, by an ordinary decision to just come to church. You you may be here because of an ordinary decision to to be with uh, God's people and hear God's word preached, but being here, he is using you to encourage Jared and Lori and the person sitting next to you that he is guarding the gospel, not just in the past, but also now. You see that in verse 10, that the gospel is not only guarding you the pastor, brother, he is guarding you presently, now, in the present. In verse 10, it says, which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ has been manifested and is presently guarding you and this dear assembly Because Jesus Christ abolished death and brought life and immortality to light. And friends, not only that, you can take this promise from the past, it is currently guarding you now, and you can take it right into the future. You can take this promise right into the future. Verse 12 tells us, which is, why I suffer. So Paul's continually suffering. He's in prison and, and he says, but I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and I'm convinced that he is able, he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. What's been entrusted to him is the gospel to guard it. And, and now he's entrusting that to God. God is going to guard the gospel him himself. You do not have to be ashamed. Paul was not ashamed and you do not yourself need to be ashamed. The truth of the gospel guarding you is what motivated Paul to guard the gospel. It's what motivated him to tell, to to exhort Timothy, and we exhort you now, dear brother and sister, guard the good deposit of the gospel. Jared and Lori, guard this deposit with your life, but never forget that the gospel has been guarding you before even the ages began. It's been guarding you by the Ordinary means of grace he shed on your parents and your pastors in this assembly before us. This has been manifested now through the appearing of our Lord and Savior Jesus who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. 
So let that propel you to a true belief that he will guard you into the future until the day of Jesus Christ. That day when it will be all light and no darkness at all.